Welcome to episode 7 of Pull Up with Miles and Owen. Today we're so excited. We have a guest we're really enthusiastic about. Director and producer Allison Clayman joins us. Allison directs and produces timely, intimate films with larger-than-life figures, many of whom you know from WNBA, and, and you'll be seeing soon. And she's pulling up with us to discuss her latest project, Unfinished Business, a documentary that breaks down the WNBA's New York Liberty in both its first season back in 1997 and its 25th season in 2021. The film, which debuted last year at Tribeca Film Festival, will stream on Amazon Prime beginning on May 13th, one week before the W tips off its 2023 campaign. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, we want to jump right in. I, I, I mean, one of the things I was so curious about how did this project, how did this story come to you? And what was your familiarity like with the league prior to this project? Was it something where you were always a fan or was this kind of something that just caught your eye and you really wanted to delve into further? No, I feel like this was one of the really personal ones for me. I mean, when my family came to the premiere, my brother said like, man, is your like middle school self just feeling like she's on top of the world? Like I loved... Um, the WNBA. I was around middle school age when it was, uh, you know, founded and I bought the shirts. I was lived in Philly, so I didn't have a team. And I do feel like the New York Liberty was sort of the team that I took on. I have found old ticket stubs of some of the games I went to in 97, New York Liberty games. Um, and I just remember it, it meant so much to me. And I remembered it in that sort of glorious uh, you know, beginning years. And to be honest, I hadn't really followed it that closely. Um, in later years, I lived abroad, I, you know, was doing other things. And so, um, when the idea of, uh, possibly having access to the New York Liberty, um, came up, uh, because Clara Wu Tsai, who's one of the owners and one of the, um, executive producers of this film, uh, I just, jumped on that chance. To me, um, it was really important to have this like rooted in the present forward looking film that also included kind of had this dual timeline and included uh, the history from inception on because that's like how I looked at it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I looked at the players today and now I feel like it's been several years and I, I mean, I'm a season ticket holder for this year and I'm um, you know, watch the draft, like I'm fully initiated, but it kind of happened over the period of making this film. But to me, I always looked at it with like the wonder that I had, uh, you know, as a kid when the league first started. And I thought that would be a really important part of uh, how I wanted to present this story and that the Liberty were a perfect example to take you through from the highs of the beginning, through all the challenges of the last 25 years and the incredible heights that I believe the league is going to reach um, very soon. So yeah, it kind of felt like a perfect fit and it really was something that was deeply personal for me. It's cool that answer because it really rings through the the old stuff in the film feels so personal so i i was like 
you have to be a fan of the league. Like there, there had to be some element of that because it, it's just such a amazing story, and uh, and it really it really rings true when you're watching it. Yeah, I had a lot of questions about that too because we are in not not the same position, but as we're we're obviously Owen and I are big sports fans, and and in covering this league, it's in trying to find that balance between being a fan and also staying on track professionally. So in my experience, there's always like just so much going on when you're trying to look for themes to isolate a piece that you're working on. Was that similar in directing a film about events that hadn't yet happened when you're covering the 25th season, when you're trying to find some parallels back to that 97 team? Totally. I mean, I think that's, this is a case of, um, I'll use the phrase as a, as a Philly fan as well, you know, trusting the process, but it's really true that, um, you know, in verite documentary filmmaking, that's kind of my my comfortable sweet spot is like kind of not knowing what's going to happen and planning for a million different possibilities and being really thrilled to not know and to be there capturing things in real time. Um, and the history part is really different. The history is like is knowable. It is about trying to go as deep as you can, maybe deeper than, you know, stuff that's already out there. Um, And to know that in putting it all together in the edit, which is really where the magic happens in documentary film, um, I guess I just believed that there were going to be these um, storytelling opportunities of parallels that we would find. um, And whether it's like in a shot or like an answer in an interview or, you know, something visual, um, but also like the the sort of contours of the story of the season and the sort of 25 year history. We had sort of started plotting it, you know, and thinking about it as we were filming, of course. But then in the edit, I think they all really came together quite naturally. And it's sports. So you kind of have that built in. There's highs, there's lows, there's tension. Are they going to win? Are they going to lose? Like literally you can pair like a losing streak with, you know, a, a story of, uh, systemic failures in investment and marketing and, you know, sale, ticket sales going down. I mean, you can like pair these things with through, I think, like elegant filmmaking. This team gave you a really great natural narrative structure to that, which I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. But you talked about just how much you're gathering just footage and between the archival footage and between everything that you were getting in 2021, you were able to pack so much into this project. What was the most difficult thing that you had to cut? Mm. Most difficult thing. I mean, there, well, like everything is sort of like killing your darlings and then you start to just be ruthless, or at least I start to just be ruthless in service of the story and the experience of viewing it. But, um, I think for me, I just got so deep in the um, there's sort of the sort of the, the why, uh, you know, why things happen the way they did and that they didn't have to be and sort of looking for that answer. I feel like a lot of the interviews I did with sports writers and kind of, you know, big picture, like looking at the history of the league, I sort of kept being like, why did it start with a bang and then have these like really challenging years. And I spent so much time talking about that, answering it. And really that's just kind of sprinkled through the film. And I think it gives you an answer in the lightest possible touch because ultimately that's not, this is this, the film is about exciting players, exciting basketball, 
um, I wanted to like use the history to raise the stakes. Um, so for me, just I was really interested in um, the stories of all the sports writers who struggled to get, um, you know, coverage of the WNBA, you know, to get assigned it, to get it placed um, at the same time that newsrooms were kind of, you know, cutting staff in general, where local coverage is getting cut. This is this, this is like laid over the history of the WNBA. And you talk about a league that's like in the summer, you know, not benefiting from being at the same time as the men's basketball season um, and just all of those things. So I got really into that and talked to all the, you know, people in the film that you see as sort of, um, you know, expert insider interviews. We talked about that a lot. I really wished we could go into it more, but just ultimately, you know, when we got to the edit, my editor was like, you sure this isn't a series? <laughs> like it just, it just was so much. Um, I guess that was the thing that I was sad about cutting. And then also, I think, I mean, we filmed all of All-Star Weekend with Benajah. That really ends up kind of just being a moment where you get to appreciate that um, achievement for her. But, you know, so like a lot of the things, there were a lot of games that got cut because in the end, it's like, how many games that follow this certain pattern are you going to choose? So there were a few, there was like a game that we filmed in Dallas that was pretty dramatic and I was a little bit sad to cut that, but it just, it like kind of duplicated something that was already happening in another game in the film. So yeah, I would say that big picture thing. And then some of the small scenes were sad to cut. One of the things that I kept coming back to in watching the film was this idea that at the time of the league's inception, there wasn't much of a model for, professional women athletes on TV for kids to look up to. And even Dee Dee Richards, who's on the team now, kind of talks about going to a camp and they have a women's professional basketball player. And she's like, oh, that's a that that's a career path. That's something that I could actually do. That's a thing. Um, but I love the Sue Wicks quote where she says that the only women playing professional sports on TV was tennis and roller derby uh, when she was growing up. So how, I guess the question here is, you know, how much of, of this embarking on this filmmaking journey was just that it's such an amazing and personal story? And then how much did you feel kind of a, a duty to uh, capture this and, and show all of these professional women athletes on the big screen? I, I mean, you're right that it's definitely both. Our mantra in trying to get this movie off the ground, uh, which we started, you know, the whole uh, production team sort of started uh, right before um, the pandemic hit or the year before the pandemic hit. And, you know, we ended up shooting it in 2021. Um, our mantra was just like, how does this movie not exist already? You know? And so I always, for the reasons I said before, really thought that it was important to have this dual timeline to include the history. And, you know, part of it was personal. Part of it was just knowing that that would deepen and raise the stakes, you know, in the peaks and valleys for the current season. But also, yeah, there was a little bit of duty, which is like, I don't, I really think this film is aimed at, you know, the core audience, but also for someone who just loves movies or sports to hear it's good and to watch it. And so there's an element of discovery. And I truly don't think that people know. And I think it was an opportunity to frame the arc of, you know, this history for people so they can appreciate where we're coming from. And in truth, you know, I do that in all my films, you know, it's not just about this topic. I think 
the opportunity in a documentary film, you know, which is journalistic, but is not quite journalism, you know, it's telling a story and you can create the own, you can set the boundaries and provide the context that you choose for the story that you're telling. And I guess, yeah, I just really wanted to draw a circle around this whole history. I think that that's something that definitely shines through. And I learned so much in watching this film and in the early days. And it's a great way to bridge those because there are going to be some fans that were at all the games in 97 who might have dropped off of the game. And now this is a this is a way for the a new entry point for them to get to know the players on this team today. And there are some people that are just fans today that are now looking back at the history And we learned so much and I learned so much about the early days of the W, including just the ways that the league was trying to actively appeal to heteronormative families rather than just families. There's that there's that quote, there's that Mm. moment. And that was and to think about that today, almost like in terms of the league as as players that will speak up against social injustice, that it's just kind of become synonymous now, but it wasn't always that way. And just kind of seeing how that plays out. Yeah. And that, that, that was, I mean, that, that it was so player led, you know what I mean? Like that it's sort of like, look, we, you know, it's not, it's also like, like there's a line that I think uh, Lobo says in the film, it's like, you know, the WM, the, the league eventually got there, you know, maybe later than it should have, but certainly earlier than most. Um, and I think that, you know, that is totally true. But that said, yeah, it's like, y- you know, it was completely, player led, you know, the, the tenor that there is now. And you see how much the fear and trepidation of just letting people be themselves, which in this case could mean a host of things, but certainly speaking out, uh, about, um, you know, injustices in society, if that's what players choose to do, if it's about, um, living proudly as a black woman, as a queer woman, you know, there's so many things that, or as a trans person, um, the idea that, letting people just be themselves is kind of, it's, it sort of also tracks along with the, um, you know, advent of social media and sort of social marketing. And like, that's sort of, that's how influencers, you know, everybody's like, you have to have your brand, you have to be you. And so I think we can understand today naturally why, of course, you're going to have a hard time marketing something if you're trying to make it something that it's not or sort of stifle something that, you know, it could be. And yeah, the whole language, everybody I interviewed, from the, you know, from players to Val Ackerman to, you know, reporters, everyone repeated that phrase, dads and daughters, um, and also the idea of like families. And it just was like, oh, I feel like it was just so clear that that was like a marketing term and it's really coded to mean something very specific. Um, But you look at the footage from back in the day and it was like all, I mean, it was huge, it was massive. All kinds of people were there, you know, including dads and daughters, but also what's wrong with, moms and daughters or moms and sons or two moms or two dads like you know and it's just it was I I think it was really exciting to be able to point that out and it was right there on the surface everyone talked about it when interviewing I also think a lot of the players I talked to were just so happy to talk about their experience in depth you know we did whatever it was whatever time we had whether it was an hour whether it was two three hours with with the um, legacy you know legend players but I was, they got so emotional because I really feel like they have, a, they expressed to me a fear of sort of not, of being forgotten or like they're kind of not having their due. They had this huge moment 
and they worry about disconnects with today, which is something that you just mentioned. And I think um, that was something that I think was really, you know, motivating in making this film is like tying it all together, putting everyone in the same timeline. And then you have that, you get to hear DD, you know, and other players talk about doing it for Spoon. And it really just kind of like closes the loop. And that's, that's part of the important storytelling in sports as well, you know? I don't know if you have, like, I don't know if you're looking at my notes, but Teresa Weatherspoon is my next question. So yeah, it's just <laughs> an amazing segue. I, I, it, her energy just seems like a filmmaker's dream. And like, like you said, watching the film, I got emotional at listening to her speak. She cares so deeply about the game and about this story. Um, and, and it just really resonates when you're watching it. Uh, what was your favorite part of filming with her? Oh my God. Both of us, like, as you can hear, or, you know, maybe you can tell, maybe not because you don't know me, but I'm a little hoarse. I'm like getting over a cold. I always lose my voice when I have a cold. We were kind of both in that status. We were kind of like crooking our way through the interview, but she just, you know, came with the energy and brought it. So um, I just think uh, she she was sort of like, we weren't sure if we were going to get the interview or if she was too busy and it got rescheduled. And it was just like, when that was done, I feel like the whole crew was just like, wow, you know, um, which we really felt about, you know, all of the players, but she just has that, you know, she's a leader. And um, I think the way she shared uh, how she felt at all those stages. And I think she, you know, she's that kind of person you see how she treats everyone. She treated me the same way of like, you know, thank you for that interview. And like, it was so great, but I just think ask, I w- it did kind of strike me like how often do these players get asked about how it felt and like at each point, you know, as opposed to just some sort of generic big picture, like, what's it like to start the WME? But no, being like, so we really walk through, that's another thing. It's like, I'm sort of sad that couldn't be in the film of like the beat by beat of what it, what their lives were like, and then what it meant to have this league start. Oh my God, I got so into the sort of, um, you know, WNBA and the, uh, God, ABA, ABL, um, my brain's, uh, but the fact that there were two leagues for the first year and then the merging in 1999, I mean, it got, cause that must've been a huge thing for them at the time. It ends up being a footnote for us. Truthfully, it ended up falling out of this film, but I talked to everyone about it. And I just feel like that really made people open up cause they were like, oh, you really thought about all the, the, the twists and turns and the specifics of those first few years. Um, and you're interested in what it was like for us. In speaking about the the editing magic of um, making a film like this, I love there was just a tiny moment near the end where you guys had finished the interview uh, and she just kind of exhaled like it was just like a like it was like just so wonderful for her to get to talk about this. And I, I loved that you guys left that in because, you know, it, it was how I felt as a viewer, too. One of the things that I really loved that she said um, in talking about 1999 and how, you know, that iconic shot and then how they ultimately fell short. And she really, she, she, that weighed heavy on her. She felt duty to her teammates. You know, Lobo had kind of said, this is your team. And she felt a responsibility to lead them. 
ultimately they fall short to the this you know legendary dynasty in Houston. Uh, but she says he talks about leaving something for someone else to grow with, and I think it's such a cool way to kind of weave this all together because now we have this Liberty team that is capable of winning a championship again, and it's not possible without what Teresa Weatherspoon and all those players kind of left for, for players who would come after them uh, to grow with. Um, do you feel or see any sort of symmetry between that quote as it pertains to the league itself and then as it pertains to this film in terms of kind of leaving, you know, a, a piece of work for, for others to kind of build off and, and view in the future? I think so. I mean, we're, I'm almost getting sick of the times we can jokingly say unfinished business, but I think that's really right. I mean, like the Liberty story is a great stand-in for the story of the the league as a whole. And I think that the WNBA is a great stand-in for um, the position of women's professional team sports in America. And maybe even then you can say of, you know, women in general in America. Um, I think that uh, that feeling of, you know, who could say like, we're, you know, we're done. Like we solved whatever it is, sexism, racism, you know, transphobia, like, you know, these, all these things are really unfinished business. Um, and I think that these players, um, connecting the players over these generations is a, is a great, uh, gift in, in the storytelling of this film. And I think, again, it really worked because also the 2021 team was so young. Like, again, it was a natural story thing because you're like, we don't have like grizzled vets to like, you know, balance out, you know, the young team. Like, sure, you know, we had Sammy and Tosh and, you know, players who'd won championships, um, but kind of everybody was new. That was the thing that united everyone really on this team. And so it really made sense to have these players from the past speak to the present. And the fact that you know, some of them are still uh, involved in basketball, you know, coaching in the WNBA, coaching in the NBA, um, I think also gives them this extra, you know, bit of authority when they talk about these things. You had talked about going to these games in 97 and just seeing how packed out they were. And then that era and, and the film talks about it, too, where there's that decline in attendance and something that really struck me was seeing all of the celebrities, all the stars that sat courtside back in the day. In the film, we see Tyra Banks, we see Magic Johnson, Rosie O'Donnell, Spike Lee. There are a whole bunch of people. Joan Jett, obviously, as the Liberty Three super times. fan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And something I was I was listening to a panel the other day, and Ari Chambers said a way that we can continue to grow the game is to keep the WNBA cool, to make it cool. And like those orange hoodies did and became a moment a couple of years back, like NIL sponsorships are doing in college and just putting these players everywhere. What do you think the league can do to bring some of these celebrities back courtside? I mean, I think, I think it's happening, you know, I think that, um, being there for, you know, most of the home games in 2021, like you see the people who, uh, are coming courtside having, um, NBA players and other athletes coming courtside, um, you know, uh, whether it's Naomi Osaka or, you know, an NFL player, I think that that's really important. I think, um, celebrities too, uh, you know, you see in the film, uh, 
Wyatt Senek, who has become a huge, you know, devoted fan of the Liberty. Um, and, you know, I think he brought John Oliver for his first game and he was hooked. John Early was there as well. You know, he loved the game. So I think it's sort of keeping it cool that way. The other thing I was saying is like thinking about was one of the ways that it's celebrities are getting involved that I see now that wasn't possible in the early years. So maybe there's an evolution is also like being a part owner. Like that wasn't something that was possible um, in the structure of the league in the first years. And now I just do feel like it's interesting when there are certain, you know, uh, you know, whether it's a musician or, uh, you know, again, another athlete and there's sort of speculation like, oh, are they going to buy into a team? That's very cool too. I think that is in keeping with the sort of way that celebrities are sort of also supposed to be entrepreneurs or whatever, but I think it's another way that, that a spotlight can be shown on the league. I love that. And I think we've seen it a lot on the NWSL side where it's become the cool thing for a celebrity to get into that ownership game. So hopefully, yeah, that energy can transfer over to the W a bit. Exactly. There are so many little moments in this film that are so impactful, so enriching just about the the layered existence of what it is to be a professional women's basketball player. And my favorite, and now this is the third time I've seen the film. So it's every time I like stop on this moment, but it's a small scene. It's right after Sammy Whitcomb has introduced Nash, her adorable son. And you capture this beat where she's pre-recording some PA announcement for the Barclays Center where it's like a happy birthday wish or something like that. And just off camera, Nash is on a blanket on the floor playing with some toys, but within sight of his mom and just very comfortable. There's another point where Kia Clark is holding him and it's just very cute. And I had a professor in grad school, Danielle Smith, who used to say to me that the first draft of any work is like pottery. It's about just gathering the clay, get as much material as you can, and then you shape it, you whittle it down. So how much is of of collecting footage for a film like this is instinctual saying in the moment, that's a great shot. And how much of it is just kind of gathering the clay, just where you can then later watch it all back and put it all together? Yeah, I mean, I think I, 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 the way I act every day on quote unquote set, which is just like being with these people in their lives. I, I guess I'm just always editing and I'm imagining like, okay, what we're shooting today, every bit of it is like going to be part of the movie and like, how would it fit? And is it good? Which is also when sometimes you give your uh, camera people a break and you're like, you know, we, this, we're not going to use this. Like, you, sh- you know, it's human beings um, filming. So you don't want to um, waste your energy, especially when you're filming athletic things. But um, I guess it's just like, you're thinking, how can this be used? And like imagining the storyline that would be built around it. So, you know, yeah, I think you're trying to film everything in the end. A really small fraction is what ends up getting used, but it's better to have more. It's also good to have things, the same thing happening in a bunch of different settings because you might have a montage where you want to show this is how, this is the drudgery or this is the like ups and downs. Um, So it is like, for me, it is collecting a lot, but it's not just, um, you know, the, there's a famous uh, Werner Herzog quote, sort of like, we're not garbage collectors. But, you know, to him, it means don't film all the time. But that that's, you know, not his style. I do think in verite filmmaking, you do need to film a lot. You need to be there a lot to get, you know, deeper and deeper with, um, you know, your participants. But um, in this case, it's like, yeah, I feel like I'm always thinking. And obviously, um, you know, when Nash came to, that was on marketing day, we were like, you know, 
film every drop of him. And then it turned out that, um, you know, uh, Kate brought Nash home to Australia for a lot of the season in the end. So it was really great that we had some of that early footage. Um, I also had a baby the week after Tribeca. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sure I would have looked at filming all of that even more, you know, relatably or different. I would probably felt film it, you know, we were, we weren't ignoring it then, but I feel like I would feel it a lot more now. The idea of like, you know, uh, them on the side while she was working, it was that day. We knew that that was like one of the best shots we got because it was remarkable. She like didn't have childcare. She just came, did her thing, was being a star and, you know, Nash kind of put up with it. <laughs> Nash was around a lot more last year in 2022. And I just remember a bunch of small moments where Sammy always had this very elaborate pregame routine where she's out there longer than anybody else taking three point shots. And Kate was holding Nash in the first row, like right behind her and she would shoot and then turn around and wave and then go through, keep going through her process. And it was just very, very cute. And I'm going to miss seeing the three of them every day this season. Um, This was also fortuitous timing because training camp open this week. So O and I were able to talk to Dee Dee at camp the other day and just ask her about the film. So here's what she said. So imagine that being your rookie year and cameras are following you everywhere. And I almost was like, oh, this is normal. Like, I'm in the WNBA, I'm famous, I'm on TV, you know? And that's what it felt like. It was exciting. Um, production team was amazing. Allison was amazing. They worked with us. They asked us the right questions. I think that unfinished business to film was spectacular. It told the story that exactly what we wanted it to tell, and I can't wait for everybody else to see it. At the time of filming... Dee Dee was still just months removed from that terrifying injury at Baylor that temporarily paralyzed her. And you were able to deftly navigate the fear and trauma without losing her voice, her heart, her just casual charisma. How, as a director, do you, like Dee Dee said, ask the right questions and maintain that balance? Oh my God, I love hearing that quote. That's so great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, we didn't talk about it until basically the end of the season. Um, I feel like, you know, everybody, same thing, you know, for Sabrina, for anyone. Like, I kind of feel like in some situations, it's better to kind of start with an interview and hear someone's story and then makes them feel comfortable and then the rest will will flow, if that makes sense. Like, that people can feel heard and, and that makes them more comfortable that, like, they know where you're coming from. It's sometimes different with people who are already in the public eye. It's like there's stuff out there already. Like, you know, I think they would hope, you know, that you know what's the important things. But I guess like, I feel like in this case, we just introduced ourselves and really made, you know, my team, my director of photography, Julia Liu. Uh, We had a couple sound people, but our main one was Antoinette Tomlinson. You know, you had both of them are very short, uh, which was also very funny. Um, but I think that's makes for a better epic shot if you're like shooting from below. Um, yeah, booming from below is a little hard for Antoinette. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just think we were there and we were there with them all the time. And so that's like another strategy. It's not necessarily that you have to ask all the questions up front, but it's like they just know like if if they see you there, you you slept to another city, you woke up early, you waited late. Um, and also got out of their way when it's a time that you shouldn't be in their way. I think that's another way to just kind of um, 
be a be a positive pleasant or at least tolerable presence in people's lives and then I think when we came to the interviews I had been with them for so long and I knew what the right I don't know just to me I knew what the right questions were and I also like had to ask them because we kind of got one shot because then you know as soon as their schedule is one of the biggest challenges of making this film and like the season ends and everybody scatters you know so to get those interviews in those like one master interviews were like I feel like so proud of those (laughs) and that we got them in Barclays, you know, and, and made them look great, you know, again, credit to uh, DP Julia Liu. But um, yeah, so I think that's it. I think in this case, it was being with them, doing your homework, but, and in this case, kind of being with them a lot to earn some level of trust and respect so that then when it came time to ask the questions, I think they were the right questions and they, and they knew where we were coming from. The interviews did look so cool. I loved the I loved the shots. Uh, Dee Dee is someone who you know Miles and I at practice these days are seeing. She's just becoming more and more of a leader, and and her personality has always been uh, conducive to that. Um, but I think more and more she's just getting comfortable in her own voice. Uh, and and at one point she says in the film of Benajah Laney, it was never a question of if B was a leader. It was a question of who else is going to lead with her. And we were all trying to figure out who we, who each other were, what they did, who was the leader. B walked in and she made, made it known that she was the leader, though. I just want to make that clear. We, it was never a question if B was the leader. It was a question of who else is going to lead with her. And I loved that. And I just thought that, uh, you know, Benajah was someone who... It, it, it was just so obvious from watching the film how integral she is to this team, leading this team and, and her personality. Um, how much of a sense did you get in, in making this film that she's one of those players who's just kind of born to lead? Oh, yeah. I mean, she's someone who has kind of two key interviews in the film because on, you know, on marketing day, we were like, can we talk to Benaisha for a little bit? And a lot of what she said that day, you know, before knowing what was going to happen made, you know, made the, made the film itself and even made the trailer, you know, um, I, uh, I think she literally walked into the first time I met her besides like introductory sort of zooms before I came to film, um, it was a practice and she was sitting on the side because she was still, it was like COVID protocols and she had come back from Israel and we like talked a little bit and then she came to marketing day and she was sort of just unassuming. We were both sitting on the sidelines. I was like, you know, watching, filming a little and we were talking and then she came to marketing day and she just looked like, she just looked like the part, you know what I mean? Like she just came and she owned and I was like, we, can we interview her now? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think she was like ready. It really felt like this was her moment, her team, everything was really lining up. Sorry for the traffic sound. (laughs) No, that's okay. We're all in Brooklyn. So that's, we're used to it. I think it happens on every one of our episodes. Uh, I wanted to just close this out with one more player quote. So I had told you, I think before we started recording that, uh, I was at the premiere last year and I, so I dug into my archives and went back through my interviews up from that red carpet. And I spoke to Sabrina at the time who brought up just how central the city of New York is to this story, to the generational legacy of this team. 
Well, New York's kind of the hub of, of all of this. It's kind of just, you know, your ability to be your authentic self, tell your story, and obviously the history with the Liberty kind of, you know, stands strong. We have legends here that are always coming to our games, and, um, you know, we're keeping close contact for our organization, always keeps them top of mind and we prioritize and kind of respect everything that they've done for us to be able to be here today, and so it's a blessing to be here today. And so you live in Brooklyn now. So how impactful would it be to close us out for the city to finally, after 50 plus years, bring a basketball championship to New York? And I know, leave your your Philly ties at home here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I just I get chills when I think about it. I mean, I wish I was making, a, you know, a follow up or like a series of this season. I think it would be amazing. I think it's really exciting where we are right now. I think, you know, Unfinished Business, it is, uh, the you know, it's a film of a of, of a moment, but I think it's meant to stand the, the test of time because everything that's going to happen is going to be built on what you see in the film, no matter what, whether it's this year, next year, hopefully this year, you know, sometime soon. But I think um, they're going to have a real chance and you can see uh, you know, where where you can see where they're trying to go. And this movie helps you like appreciate what that means. I love it. I love it. And hopefully we're going to see you all the time at Barclays Center this season. Owen and I are there every game. Um, and yeah, you will. And maybe you'll see my baby Shane. I'm hoping Can't she, wait. Can, uh, <laughs> she was there, I, you know, before she was born. So the like week before I got in a couple games after Tribeca before she was born. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited. So you're building that parallel narrative to before Shane was there to now this legacy and hopefully she's here for the, the unfinished business. Exactly. My husband and I can't wait to, you know, hold her up for the, you know, to try to get on the jumbotron when they do that. (laughs) Hopefully she'll like it. Thank you so much for just pulling up with us today, Allison, and everybody go watch Unfinished Business on May 13th. It premieres on Amazon Prime. And then tune in with WNBA, which tips off on May 19th. Thanks so much. Thank you guys. Thanks for what you do. Thank you.